gentlemen and welcome to the show on this episode of the podcast we will be discussing everything jim beam we'll go through the history of the distillery current news and of course our personal favorite aspect of the show the tastings and with me as always is my exceptional and brilliant co-host andy kleshik andy how are you doing today i can't complain too much i uh over the weekend i finally paid down my student loans so very good feeling right now kind of celebration that's for me a, right now going on. That's a big moment. We should celebrate by pouring yeah. some of this Jim Beam here. Say, well, uh, folks out there, uh, we're gonna, uh, we recommend you drink along with us on this episode of the Jim Beam uh, version of this podcast. Uh, we're just dr- drinking the Jim Beam Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Their white uh, label. Yep. I highly recommend you pour yourself a drink so you can drink along with us. There will be a more formal tasting portion uh, later on in the show, but we're going to be drinking along until we get there. So pour yourself a drink of this Jim Beam or you know a bourbon of some sort, and uh, we'll get started. So yeah, Andy, uh, elaborate a little bit on your. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, here. I finally paid those down. Um, it's been about four years in the works now, with uh, with the pandemic and everything going on. Uh, forbearance was enacted, and I just said, "Screw it, I'm gonna pay it down, pay them down as much as I can with no interest on them." So, cheers, sir. Good feeling. Absolutely. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Now you can start saving some money, so uh, you can buy that dream car one day. A little bit more, yeah. Start saving a little bit more than I already am to start doing that. Yeah. So one day you can buy that Aston Martin. I know. <laughs> I know you got. I know you got your eye on an Aston Martin. Yeah, we're. Yeah, I'm, someday you know, hope to buy that. All things financially go well, but. Hell yeah. Uh, I think uh, you know. I think we'll both be uh, doing just fine. Uh, not too, not too far down the road yeah. here. I'm out. Things are things are looking up. They are uh, that just, they we, are. We just got moved moved into this house. Uh, I was just talking about. We got these geo uh, rock style coasters that uh, my friend Very Dennis nice. over at the local uh, Madeira liquor store uh, gave um, Sarah and myself as a housewarming gift. Real real nice gesture there. Andy's got his student loans paid off. The Bengals got their first win. <laughs> That's reason alone to celebrate with the way the Bengals and Cincinnati sports are. Yep, Joe Burrow is uh, he's something special, and uh, I think there's, we got as long as we can keep him healthy, we got a long and uh, we got a long and prosperous uh, future headed our way. And I'm I'm looking really forward to it. And I don't, I don't think it's just going to happen uh, just with the Bengals. I think it's going to happen with our, our lives and, and and with this podcast and everything. And things are looking yeah. up. I'm excited, Andy. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it too, yeah. I'm excited for this episode as well. Speaking of which, why don't we just jump right in. Andy, tell the folks out there in America what they need to know about Jim Beam. Yeah, sure thing. So this is a brand that's, they've been around quite a bit for anybody that really knows. Uh, originally, they were founded in about 1795 by the Bohm family. Uh, German name. They transferred it over to Beam when they immigrated from... Uh, Germany over to Kentucky. Yeah, changed the spelling of their surname. Yeah, a lot of a lot of immigrants have done that over eh, the years. In some way, shape, or form, have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're currently under uh, operating under their seventh generation of the Beam family. Uh, Fred Now, he's the current master distiller over there, and they've unfortunately, of course, because of the big event in America, uh, prohibition, as most people probably know already they've been non-continuously operating unfortunately they were not one of those brands that had an actual license medicinal license to distill and produce 
whiskey legally during yeah. that time. Yeah, only a handful that. were fortunate enough to yeah. legally do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they've actually been using the same ingredients for more than 220 years. You know, you know along with that mash bill uh, consistency, the distillery has also um, used the same yeast colony for over 75 years. Yeah. So very consistent with our product. Um, and I think, you know, and, and, you know, it's been really been a family tradition, a family business for them. And yeah. Now, like you said, they're on that seventh generation of family. And this is one of the, Jim Beam is one of the highest uh, biggest uh, best-selling bourbons in the entire world, Andy. And uh, I think when we're looking at most... that, when we're looking at that seventh generation, there we got to say that Jim Beam is uh, definitely on lucky number seven right now. Oh yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, not only are they one of the best-selling, I mean, I think they're one of the most recognizable brands alone. I mean, the like oh, pull yeah. that bottle off, pull the label off the bottle, and put it in front of anybody, and I think uh, anybody would be able to tell exactly which brand it is oh yeah everyone knows jim beam jim beam is available in over 200 countries and territories america germany and australia are the three biggest consumers it is uh like i said one of the easy you know one of the most recognizable well-known and uh, best-selling bourbons out there and if you're yeah. looking at that starting level bourbon uh, you really can't go wrong with jim Beam. no i mean it's definitely as an entry level bourbon both for the price and for people who are um being introduced to bourbon and just whiskey as a whole, I think it's one of those brands that is one that people should get introduced to first before they go anywhere else. Um, It's their, uh, they're based there in Claremont, Kentucky currently. Uh, yep. You know, they're kind of, I would say they're, have you ever been to this uh, to this distillery, Andy? No. So I've never actually been to their formal actual distillery, distillery. But right. when I was in Louisville last year, before all code and stuff hit, where we can't really visit pretty much anywhere on the Bourbon Trail or anywhere, I actually stopped in really briefly at their Urban Still House in Louisville, just for a quick little bit, uh, just to see what it was all about. And it's it's a good looking place. They do a little bit of some bottling, some small amount of distilling there, but really not much of anything there at the Urban Still House. Everything is based at their Claremont, Kentucky, primarily their Claremont, Kentucky uh, operations. And that uh, the Still House is a good looking place, though. It's it, a very, very it, modern, very sleek, very stylish. Modern. Was that downtown Louisville that that's literally, located? D- literally downtown Louisville. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly which street it's on, but it's roughly the area where, for anybody that's into triathlons and endurance sports like that, it's roughly the area where the Louisville Ironman either starts or finishes. Right in that same area. Wrong guy, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know you're you're not the guy that's into that, but for anybody that partakes in bourbon and and does that kind of stuff, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're so yeah. That's they got a really nice little setup there in, in downtown Louisville. There's they got a few of them, and we're gonna we're heading down there as soon as we possibly can. As soon as uh, we can, folks, yeah. and uh, we'll hopefully be bringing bringing you some on-site content eventually. Yeah, but even if we can't, we're still gonna be heading down there just for uh, shits and giggles, if you will. Yeah, uh, but most of it does take. We're gonna we'll, we'll hit up the distilleries, and we're gonna hit up uh, Louisville as, as well. Uh, but yeah, a lot of what their a lot of their production, all that happens there in Claremont, Kentucky. It's kind of a little bit, I would say, more off the the the, the kind of regular track. It's a little off the beaten yeah. path. So, it's uh, not too far all the way there in Claremont. Um, it's no. kind of close to like um, Heaven Hill Bourbon, uh, like Maker's Mark. It's not far from yeah. them. Uh, you know, so right, right in that area. Yeah, and they've they've had a, over the over the generations they've had some um, 
I don't know exactly where they started distilling in Kentucky. That I could not find. But I know around the 1850s and since then, they've had distillations in Nelson, Kentu- Nelson County, Kentucky, and then um, like in Boston, Kentucky, was is, which is just southwest of Claremont. They've had like various operations there over the years. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, it's definitely something that they are not directly on that beaten path between Louisville to kind of Frankfurt, Lexington area. Yeah, not, They're slightly off that off, path. But yeah, a little, yeah. little off. Um, it's kind of got a very, uh, I would say, traditional Kentucky, uh, you know, rolling hills, uh, horse racing, uh, barn type feel to it. It's got that main uh, facility there in Claremont, that main barn. It's like a grayish barn with, with yeah. some really nice red accents with those beautiful trees, those rolling hills. Um, it's kind of quintessential Kentucky, quintessential bourbon look, if you will. And uh, we discussed it a little bit uh, not too long ago, because uh, on I think it was two weeks ago, maybe on the Knob Creek episode. Uh, no, that was last week. Yeah, was that last week? I think that was last uh, week. I yeah, thought, uh, we did. Oh no, we did Michter's last week. Knob Creek was the week before. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. uh, Knob Creek is uh, produced there on site, and um, <clears throat> so we talked about it a little bit, bit there. But it, it, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, facility yeah. there. Absolutely recommend. Everyone check it out. It's like again, like I it's say, hard to it's miss. a little bit off the beaten path, but um, not too far. Definitely worth the, the trip. It, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you, and it's it's worth the trip, and it's it's going to be one of those ones that's hard to miss in the area, just because. I mean, you look at it; it looks like a normal barn, but then you see it, and they've got their logo just emblazoned everywhere on that barn. Oh yeah, it is it's massive. huge. Oh yeah. Um, and it, from what I've seen, I mean, I haven't been actually down to their Claremont location yet, uh, the actual distillery yet, but it looks, from what I've seen in pictures and stuff, looks great. Looks like a great facility to be in. Hell yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's worth the, worth the visit once we get down there. For sure. Or can't get down there. But uh, kind of going back to a little bit of their history, uh, like I said, founded in 1795 really moved to closer to where they are now about the 1850s i want to say but it was originally founded actually under a different name the uh old jake beam sour mash name in the 1700s well like when they first started out because jacob beam was who they was the um he was a generation of the Beam family that started it all for them or at least in terms of like company-wide starting they probably distilled before then but actually starting up making a legit business he was the one that did it and then they eventually they've had a few name changes so it started out as that then the old old tub name about the 1880s then once they came back from prohibition is when jim beam to honor their heritage when that name was put on their labels um and that's when Kind of one of their original slogans was, it's not original, oh god, what was it originally? It was something like their original, like it's not Jim Beam unless it has my signature on it. Something oh, like yeah, that. Absolutely. Or it's not, it's not my bourbon unless it has my signature on it. Um, something to that effect. I don't remember, I, I know that's not exactly it, but paraphrasing it. Yeah, it was, uh, was it James Beam that it was named after? 
Originally, yeah. Yeah, and he uh, it was you know he actually named it after himself, which is like an obvious. That's a that's a real hardcore power move, if you ask me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he said um, he actually got it. Uh, he got the facility back up and running within 120 days after prohibition. He wasn't messing around, Andy. No, they and, were not. Um, that's when you know they you know, that's when um, uh, that he actually kind of came out with what you were talking about. Those bottles were labeled with that statement, non uh, genuine without my signature. Which of course that's the signature of James B. Beam. And if it didn't have yeah. that uh, signature, it was going to, you know, it was declared that it was non-genuine without without my signature, as James uh, put it. Yeah, and exact. No, you're exactly right on that. And it was, um, it wasn't until the 1880s, be- before this all happened, before prohibition and all that started up, and they all the history of what now is called Jim Beam kind of started a lot. They. Previous to the 1880s, when they were renamed uh, Old Tub, they only had their customers come to the distillery to pack up. But when they started out actually bottling and everything, that's that's kind of around the time they decided, you know what, we need to actually bottle this, sell it. On a national level. On a national level. Because yeah. um, it just kind of, I'm willing to bet it probably just was something that they found it just too inconvenient for most customers to just come there, deal with the hassle, everything. For sure, they were actually coming. Customers, were, customers were actually coming there to the facility with their own bottles and having it poured yeah, in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty Which is, uh, not very efficient, if you will. Eh, in some sense, you could say that's probably not very efficient at all. Right. Uh, and probably just a hassle to make sure people aren't walking around everywhere trying to steal a little bit of extra here and there uh, mm-hmm. off barrels and stuff. So makes it a little bit easier for them. Yeah. Def- absolutely. Yeah. And it was around Jeremiah, T. Jeremiah Beam's tenure, which I forget which generation he was. I want to say he was fourth or fifth, maybe, generation of the Beam family, where they actually opened up their um, Claremont facility and then that Boston, Kentucky um, operations that they had, at least at that time, um, that location, yeah, just south southwest there of the yeah. uh, of the Claremont facility. Yeah, ne- definitely. But really, I would say probably it wasn't until they had uh, Booker No, who, as we said during the Knob Creek um, episode that we talked about within the last couple of weeks here, um, is when they really took off the most, uh, introducing a whole bunch of stuff. Um, in terms of extra products, Booker Booker No was actually the grandson of Jim Beam. Yeah, uh, and that's he under his tutelage is really when like things took off, and yeah. he was actually the master distiller there for over forty years. Yeah, no, he had he had a long history there. I, um, no knows how to make some fucking whiskey, baby. Yeah, he he they no, I'd agree with you there. They definitely know how to make him and his son Fred definitely know how to make some whiskey, and they've taken the brand to. A place that I don't know what it would be at if they hadn't done what they've done. Um, I mean, first of all, Booker, you know, he started Booker's Bourbon, uh, Knob Creek, as we just talked about, the, kind of their entire small batch lineup. Yeah. So those two, and then Baker's, Basil Hayden's, and then even for a time at least, a uh, little book. Bourbon. We, yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, we were talking right before we started recording that uh, maybe we're going to have to do Basil Hayden's in the next couple of weeks because I was Yeah, you got that bottle. I just actually just grabbed, snagged up a pretty, uh, relatively rare 10 uh, uh, year rye of Basil Hayden's uh, that I was super excited to get my hands yeah. on. 
uh, the uh, my friend who I mentioned who bought these uh, geo uh, you know these geo uh, coasters for us uh, he was the, he was actually telling me at the liquor store he's like I hadn't seen one of these bottles in over four years so yeah, when it, I it, found that out I was like I gotta snag he, this up immediately yeah you gotta get it um, I also got a decently uh, rare but very uh, you know I've heard Nika. great things about it and Nika whiskey Japanese out of whiskey. Japan yeah so really uh, and, and excited about that kind of goes into the Jim Beam theme since Beam Suntory is actually a German or I should say a Japanese uh, company yeah yeah no no no. That's... but they but clearly jim beam has they've been doing things right not just on a on, on a uh, distilling level a distillation level but also at you know a business level where you see them they have really diversified their portfolio have a number yeah. of these different brands like bookers knob creek basil hayden's but uh very impressive and i think because of that connection we're definitely in because i just snagged that bottle we're gonna have to do a basil, basil hayden's episode and we, in the we gotta future. do that <laughs> yeah we we gotta do that at some point i mean even even in terms of just acquiring other brands, I mean, they've acquired Old Granddad, they have Old Crow, I think still those two for sure. Uh, they acquired, ne- those were in their acquisition of uh, National Distillers back in 1987 under Booker Nose um, supervision. Mm-hmm. They also had Old Taylor, which I think, don't quote me on this, but I think is now maybe E.H. Taylor. Um, they sold that off to Sazerac, but it might be E.H. Taylor now. I don't know exactly. Gotcha. Um, and of along course, along with a few others. Yeah, and of course, we're talking all about uh, Booker No here, and his son uh, Fred No is actually the master distiller currently. Yeah, really, really keeping it in the family with these, you know, these strong historic, uh, just unbelievable connections. Really. Yeah. No. No, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and Fred No has even taken it to a level now that I think is surpassed booker he hasn't really introduced many new products outside of maybe their liqueurs that they have uh in recent years that i can think of but he's done a lot a good job of kind of marketing it and being on the road promoting the brand they actually uh, have worldwide of, yeah and they actually have uh, all of their i'm looking at the bottle here they actually have all of their uh uh, the seven generations of the Beam family legacy here on the bottle, where you got uh, Jacob Beam, David Beam, uh, David M. Beam, uh, Colonel James. Each of the Beam, master distillers. Jeremiah there, yeah. Beam, Booker No, Fred No. I mean, we got them all here. And, and you even see it on this bottle. We know this is genuine because it says they got the signature James yeah. Beam. Harkening back to what they said. Non genuine without my signature. It's right yeah. here on the, the freaking bottle. Yeah, harkening back to their uh, kind of what we said earlier in the episode. I mean, that was. That's kind of their tagline of it's not a genuine beam unless we got our signature on it. So, um, and you think at this point, it's basically it would be a non signature bourbon if they didn't have a beam somewhat involved in the process of making this and selling this bourbon. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it would, I don't know what they, I don't know where the brand would be if they did not have right. seven continuous generations working if, on it. I wonder if there's going to be an eighth generation. I wonder, do you know anything about that? I don't know. Um, I don't know if Fred No has any kids. I don't know that they're like uh, uh, the Russells over at uh, not uh, not Knob Creek, oh, Wild Turkey, where it's both Jimmy uh, Russell and his son Eddie Russell, but then they also have who are the co-master distillers there, and then they also have Eddie's son. Um, I forget his name coming up the ranks. I don't know if that's something that's going on with the No family, right? The No Bean family, but. It, I, I would hope they continue to be right. involved in the brand of course, some me, way. Me too. I hope there's always a beam involved with, with yeah. the, or I should say a, um, a no now involved with uh, 
you know, one of the yeah. generations involved with the, with the the product there. Um, we can't guarantee it'll happen, but yeah. it's they've done exceptionally well, especially yeah. considering some of the bad luck they've had over the years, Andy. Yeah, no, yeah, and even some of the ownership changes uh, they've had. Um, so I mean, they've definitely had their problems with fires. Uh, who's that? We, that we were talking about, Wild Turkey. I think way back in their episode, uh, that yeah. episode of us had the fires. Uh, Jim Beams had their own history with fires a little bit here. Uh, they've had actually a combined 60,000 barrels worth of bourbon uh, burned down Wow! Uh, and dumped into not the Kentucky River, but the river right there running through um, near Claremont, their main operations. Uh, the first was in 03, destroying about 15,000 barrels in an aging warehouse that leaked into the river there. And the local fire department uh, tried to put it out with all these different products and stuff and didn't i mean it finally got put out thank thankfully but did you know a lot of harm in the process as well oh yeah and then they also had one in 20 actually last year in 2019 i mean once a june and july that destroyed forty five thousand barrels at another another aging warehouse too i think in the process costs uh beam some tory about 45 million dollars yeah it's a lot. Yeah. The the first fire, they said, was uh, the flames were more than 100 feet high. Massive, massive flames, obviously. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the bourbon spilling from the warehouse into that nearby creek. They, they said an estimated 19,000 fish died because of the bourbon uh, in not the good. creek and in that river there. Um, apparently, fish do not like bourbon. No, apparently not. And uh, so, uh, you know, when someone says you drink like a fish, I'm not sure that that uh, term uh, holds holds its weight. <laughs> but must mean you uh, are sober because <laughs> right. they apparently only drink they, water. They do not like bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> also, the uh, 2019 fire, uh, they, luckily they, you know, man, that, that is really some bad luck. It's almost yeah. as if we're getting a sign that Beam shouldn't be in business. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, luckily they did learn from that 2003 fire and it was decided not to use uh, water and they let the uh, the fire burn itself out in order to re- reduce the runoff in into that ecosystem there. So yeah. they did help out a lot there. With yeah, that. they they definitely helped out, uh, even though it cost them that much, and that still happened. It was kind of a bad thing that happened. Of course. It, uh, you know, they learned. Hopefully they get better about it. Hopefully it doesn't happen again, because still like their bourbon, their products, what they do. So kind of want to hope that they can continue providing those to us as a consumer to oh, continue yeah. to drink and enjoy. Oh, yeah. And, um... You know, they've had their history with ownership before. I mean, obviously the no the nose and the beams have been involved, you know, in this what, about a hundred and or two hundred and thirty odd years, something like that, that they've been around. But uh they've definitely had some ownership groups change. Uh back in nineteen sixty eight, uh Fortune Brands bought them. Then and that was like a huge conglomerate of of various different, um, not just bourbon, but just like various different products until about 2011 when they, uh, ended up, I think going into bankruptcy maybe and had to split off like all their products into different stuff. And that's when beam just kind of got forged into a beam Inc. And it was kind of from an ownership standpoint, kind of lost in the woods a little bit from that standpoint. And then beam Centauri, was founded in 2014 when Suntory Brands out of Japan, or Suntory Holdings out of Japan, 
bought them up yeah. and created Beam Centauri, obviously. We'll see how uh, Nika compares to them. Another yeah. Japanese brand there. We'll have to give that at a, some point. We'll have to do a Nika episode someday. Yeah. Well, we can maybe, because Centauri has its own whiskey too, we can maybe um, do a comparison sometime Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I love the, uh, I have to say, I love the distillation process there at Jim Beam. They, oh, yeah. They start with that filtered uh, natural water uh, that's filtered by that limestone shelf there in that central region of Kentucky. Uh, they also use, a, I mentioned earlier, they use a strain of yeast that they've been using since Prohibition uh, since uh, Prohibition ended, uh, which of course is uh, was a very, very long time ago now. Yeah. Um, it almost uh, looks like we're, we're coming up on, we're probably at what, 80 years? Oh, we can't be mm-hmm. that far off 100. Yeah. Because um, I think it was like ended in maybe 32 or 33, something they, like that. They, yeah. Yeah, they started they started up distilling again really in about 34 or 30 1934 and 1935 there, there. so about 80 using, 85 years now yeah, something like using, that yeah so well yeah they've been using that yeast there for like about 80 85 uh, years um they they added a they added to a tank with uh, the grains to create what is known as a donna yeast and of course you're more of the uh, the expert on this andy um i just i uh, want i just love it so much i, I wanted to i don't know that much here. About that portion of it. Okay, that's, uh, there's, well, that's totally there's some. Fine. I don't know the distinctions between like specific yeast strains and stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course you're not like that uh, I, in the weeds on. I'm not a chemist, <laughs> right? Of course, <laughs> neither am I. Trust me, I, I almost failed chemistry in high school. <laughs> wow. uh, they, yeah, but they use that uh, that Donna yeast uh, later in the fermentation process. Uh, hammer mills grind the mix of corn rye and barley. Uh, malt to break it down for like an easier cooking. They then mix uh, and uh, they the mix is then moved, I should say, into a large mash cooker uh, where water and uh, setback are are added. The setback is a portion of the old mash from the previous distillation. Uh, and the key step uh, of the sour mash process there is ensuring consistency from batch to batch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's something that I think a few brands do. I think Woodford Reserve that sour mash process I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Woodford does it too where you know they'll dump some of the you know the old mash into new mash into their new mash to try and help get the um process started with it so it's something that's i think some bourbon brands do i know not all bourbon brand i don't think all bourbon brands do but of course probably the biggest one at least that they state on their um labels that does it is not technically a bourbon brand um you and i both know them known as Jack Daniels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta love you some Jack. Yeah. From the cooker, the mash then heads to the fermenter, where it is cooled to 60 to 70 degrees in the Fahrenheit in that range, and the yeast is then added again. The yeast is fed by uh, the sugars in the mash, producing heat, carbon dioxide, and, of course, alcohol. Uh, called the, called distiller's beer, or wash, the the, re, the resulting liquor, after filtering uh, to remove solids, looks, smells, and, of course, tastes like uh, it, essentially a form of beer. Uh, the wash is then pumped mm-hmm. into a column still where it's heated to over 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Man, that's hot. Causing yeah. the alcohol to turn into vapor. As the vapor cools and falls, it turns into a liquid called low wine, which measures one, about 125 proof or a roughly 62.5% alcohol. A second distillation is a pot still. In a pot still, I should say, heats and condenses the liquid into high wine, which reaches a roughly 135 proof or 67.5% alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's, I mean, that that's what, what most, at least, maybe not the exact process. I mean, not every brand uses a column still and a pot still. Um, Woodford was one of the brands that we talked about a couple weeks ago that does that. But more or less, that's the exact same process that, like, every bourbon brand will do, which, you know, is 
keeps it standard, but yeah. Beam definitely uh, brings it to a whole new level and consistency that really reflects in the end product. I mean, it's it's a good product. Oh, absolutely. And everything. The uh, the high wine there is then moved to new charred American oak barrels, uh, each of which hold about 53 gallons of wick liquid. Uh, a bung is used to seal the barrels before moving them to nearby hilltop rack houses where they will age up to nine years. Yep. Uh, that's a really impressive uh, amount of aging there. Uh, Jim Beam is actually well known because it actually ages its bourbon uh, for nearly twice as long as is legal required by them uh, to do. There's that yeah. two-year requirement. Uh, and of course, sometimes you're getting ones as, as long as nine years. Um, as the season change, natural weather, uh, variations occur, um, you know, things expand and, and with the, the, the wood of the barrels, uh, which of course allows the bourbon to seep into the barrels and uh, the caramelized sugars from the charred oak flavor and co- eventually color the bourbon. Uh, a significant portion known as the angel share of the 53 gallons of bourbon escapes the barrel through evaporation or stays trapped in the wood of the barrel. Jim Bean ages for, uh, that for at least uh, four years or twice as long as it says yeah. the government requires. But many of them are, are aged there for much longer. They don't always tell us with Jim Beam how long their, their bourbon's been aged. No, no, that that's definitely... Uh, they. I mean, they, they don't age state anything except maybe some of their more premium brands um, that they offer. But like you said, most of their age sta- I don't think no. there's an age statement on here. No, on on the regular Jim Beam labels, they don't actually do that. Um, I think only on their some of their premium ones that they do, like some of their small batch ones, like we were talking about with Knob Creek a couple weeks ago, they do that. Um, well, they say it's at least aged for four years, but you don't always know a Jim Beam. It could be aged no. longer. It, yeah, it's a lot of their stuff is aged. At, at a minimum, all their stuff's pretty much aged four years. Right. Um, At the end of that aging process, the amber liquid, of course, is filtered, bottled, packaged, and sent to one of the many distributors around the world yep. using a three-tier distribution system. Uh, of course, hearkening back to uh, that original moment when they decided, we're after right after Prohibition, we're going to start bottling this ourselves, selling it on a, a national level. And, of course, now it's sold on a worldwide level to oh, yeah. over 200 countries and territories. Insane numbers that Jim yeah. puts it, up. It's an absolutely insane number of countries they import it to. And, uh, you know, like you were saying with that three tiered system, that's something we can kind of go into in a governmental, like if we ever talk about like governmental regulation and stuff on the industry, that's something we can talk about later, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, why don't you, they have a, they do make a they, number of products. Why don't you tell yeah. us a little bit about some of those? Cause we're of course drinking the, uh, the regular Jim Beam Kentucky straight yeah. bourbon. Yeah. So they're, uh, now I was actually about to launch into that. They're, uh, of course they have their original, their, the white label Jim Beam, uh, that's just a standard product to do, uh, four years in a new charred oak barrel, 80 proof, um, standard pretty much for most bourbons is do about four years or longer. Um, and then they have their black label, which they do for domestic markets. They it's 86 proof in domestic and import markets, but it's aged even though they don't put the age statement on the labels, it's an eight year old bourbon in the States and then six year old bourbon. Uh, if I have my numbers correct there, it could, might've changed, but as I found it, it was about a six year old bourbon in export markets. Then of course they have their devil's cut, which is another six year old bourbon. It's 90 proof. And this is something that that one packs a punch. Yeah. It, oh, it, I, I've had it before. It actually packs a punch. It's like um, drinking the devil's piss, Andy. Yeah. yeah. It's something that um, 
what they do with the product, for anybody that knows bourbon, there's kind of two different cuts of it. There's the Angel Share, which, as John, you were talking about, that's basically lost due to evaporation. Mm-hmm. And then Devil's Cut is any bourbon that's basically just you could not extract from the wood originally. But what Jim Beam does is they basically... I don't know exactly how they do it, but they find a way, I think through like superheating the barrels or something like that, they basically find a way to extract any bourbon left actually in the wood of the barrels, and that's what they pump into the devil's cut. Like I said, that's six-year-old 90 proof, and they have their uh, Jim Beam Bonded, which is a four-year-old 100 proof bottled and bond bourbon. And then they also have their uh, Double Oak, which is matured, First in the new charred oak American barrels, and then finished off in a new in a new barrel. Um, and that one actually is one that I wanted to bring to this episode, but just ended up not. And I actually like that one probably the most of all their ones that I've had so far. That's totally fine. We'll end up yeah. doing another, maybe multiple even Jim Beam episodes. I'd love to yeah. do one on the Devil's Cut. We could do one on that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I, w- I would love to do that. Um even have a rye, so you never know. We'll, yeah. I'm sure we'll uh, and we'll, we'll have some. I think on most of our, honestly, most of our bourbons, we'll probably double back around and at some cover point other, um, you know, and even when we do scotch and things like that, yeah. we'll double back around and we'll cover multiple of the uh, products made right. by the brand. Yeah, at some point, uh, of course, they have a, a, a single barrel, and then they have their whole suite of different varying premium offerings and like small batch offerings, as we've discussed previously. Uh, had a few harvest releases, as John, as you were saying now. So have a rye, and then they have a whole buttload of liqueurs. Um, I swear, it's, that's a whole thing that I, I don't understand the trend of it. Um, it's got to be for offering women, right? the, Offering the liqueurs. I don't know. I don't know why they... I like It's something that's popped up in the last three to five years. I don't think you should be flavoring big. bourbon. No, not really. Um, I, I, I don't agree with it. I mean, it sells like, I like, uh, I don't think, but, you should be, honestly, I don't agree. Yeah. It sells. I, I don't think you should be, I, I'm not a big fan of flavoring whiskey in general. Like I'm a big crown Royal fan. I'm very excited for when we eventually to the crown Royal episode. Yeah. We do some North American whiskeys, American Canada, Canadian whiskeys. Yeah. Um, but they do like the crown Royal vanilla and peach and apple, the crapple. I'm like, knock it off folks. Just yeah. drink the whiskey or drink a fucking daiquiri. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's. What I would say is that's kind of something that with the whole liqueurs, the flavored bourbon, flavored whiskeys and stuff, I think it really got started with Fireball when that came out. Um, at least here in America, that that's still been allowed to happen. Hundo P, dude. But Fireball is disgusting. It, it is. It's actually illegal in Europe. <laughs> dude, they <laughs> they have let some... anything go on. They let everything go on in Europe. But, uh, Except for Fireball. Yeah, well, that's because it has some comp. What is they have? So, what do they have? A shit ton of liqueurs. What are the, all the options? Uh, they have the apple, the honey, oh, okay. um, Kentucky Fire, which is basically their equivalent of Fireball. The Japple. Um, <laughs> ma- they have maple, a uh, red stag, which I don't even remember what that's um, supposed to be in it. Like what flavor that's supposed to be? I don't remember off the top of my head. And then they have a vanilla and a peach. And I mean, I've had some of them. Maybe you could do them great in a cocktail, but it's it's kind of like what the um, light whiskey trend was four or five decades ago. It's I think it's going to be a fad, honestly, that just kind of yeah. falls out of style because people want the true thing. 
the uh, the red stag is a dark cherry that's uh, bourbon right. mixed with like kind of like a you know it's great I guess they say it's great to mix with like cola or yeah. you know iced tea or lemonade or yeah. something like that there, but I that's mean, just not really our yeah. style here folks I mean I've I've had I think I've had the peach with an actual like peach slider it tasted good but again it was something that to me I'm kind of like I want the real deal or nothing personally right. and then of course they have their other uh, their other brands that we've uh, like the not we've talked about that we talked about yeah. before. Uh, Basil Hayden's, which we're going to be doing as well. Um, yeah, a lot of great options. For yeah, they, yeah, they very diversified portfolio. Yeah, a lot of options, a lot of diversified diversification there. Um, so, I mean, they, I think they've really got the options for everybody to try. They're not one of those brands that has found like two specific things that they want and just stick to that. They've really tried to find a market for everybody. Absolutely. That they can sell to. All right, folks. Well, it's that time of the show. We're going to do our tasting here in a minute. So pour yourself a glass of the Jim Beam or, uh, you know, one of the other uh, Jim Beams, if you will. But, of course, we are going to be trying the uh, the regular Jim Beam Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, so I would recommend you uh, pour yourself a generous uh, pour of that. And uh, we'll go ahead and we'll get our tasting underway, yeah. folks. All right, folks, we're going to do our tasting here. Uh, we're, of course, going to snort off with the nose. Let's get, I'll give our uh, Jim Beam a little sniff here. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of it's a very, um, it's very strong. Uh, it's a, I got, I'm getting an alcohol y smell. You're definitely getting that alcohol flavor there in the smell. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of even as an 80 proof. It's kind of light though. Uh, it's not too yeah. strong, but you're, you, you're definitely noted. You're like, okay, this is a real bourbon we're messing around with. You, yeah. you get a strong, I think, a uh, hint of that corn flavor. Or a sense there, at least. A little bit, a little bit of a sweet nose there. Yeah, but it's, it's, that, it's light. It's light. Yeah, it's a it's a light nose. Um, to me, there's not much that jumps up off of it. Maybe like a little bit, kind of like a new penny smell, mm. um, if that makes sense at all. Kind of a little bit of a like a nuttier peanut, like peanut smell to it to me. Yeah. Um. But like I said, I mean, to me, I'm not, I don't get too many, it's not an offensive bourbon. It's not one that has like those huge ups and downs yeah. in flavors and smells that you can get off of other bourbons and that I get off of other bourbons. Of course. Let's give it a taste now, folks. You know, there's not a ton, there's not a ton of flavor to it. It's, it doesn't, it, I don't think there's a lot no. there. It's relatively smooth. I think it's smooth on the throat, but it's a little sharp on the tongue, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a little bit sharp on the tongue. I still kind of get that nutty flavor in the um, yeah taste of it. I still get the tiny, tiniest little amount of fruit taste there. Yeah, kind of. Maybe, like, maybe a, little bit. a little caramel. Uh, kind of really your standard, typical bourbon. I kind of, yeah, I kind of get like a, like a caramel, like those caramel apples with uh, peanuts. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And nuts that you kind of got... You used to apple. get it like a state fair or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. That's kind of what I get off I of think it. the caramel apple is a good way yeah. to describe it up. You're getting that caramely bourbon place with a little bit of fruit in there. But I think, you know, it's pretty much your standard bourbon. You know, if you're trying to describe a bourbon flavor and taste to someone, this is exactly how you would describe it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it very is the much of the quintessential start starting bourbon. Yeah. It, it, yeah. As we said, and as you just reiterated, it's definitely a quintessential starter bourbon to introduce somebody to that world yeah it's something that i think you can kind of it's one of those bourbons too that you can kind of just put into anything you can do neat it's kind of just an inoffensive one that you could do anything neat 
little bit of water, a little bit of ice in it. You can mix it in a cocktail, anything like that. It kind of almost would pair well with dang near anything. Yeah. Uh, so it's really got, it, it does have a pretty smooth uh, finish, I would say. Um, like I said, it burns, it doesn't burn the, the throat in my opinion, but it hits you a little bit on the tongue. Uh, but, but a very uh, overall mellow finish. And uh, yeah. I think if you're looking for that starting price point and a solid bourbon, you can't go wrong with Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, it's a, about a $20 whiskey, at least here in the Cincinnati area. So it's uh, for the white label starting out. So it's good. All right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, leave a review, and listen to every episode of Distilled Discussions. Share it with your friends, post on social media, but make sure you're downloading, you're listening, and you're giving us some reviews, guys. Uh, we, we appreciate positive and uh, not so negative, but uh, constructive criticism and, and feedback. Uh, have a great week to all of you out there. Pour yourself another whiskey, and don't worry, America. We'll be here to drink with you next week.